Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another broadcast of Obstruction to Justice. I'm Ann Moles. And as you know, Obstruction to Justice, you get the opportunity to uh, chime in on discussions that uh, uh, popular or current discussions of the day, current news, politics, um, and just chime in and share. Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And a little history, too. We're going to be getting in, into some of that as well. Because, of course, you know, there's lots going on. And there's always uh, a history, something behind it, right? It wasn't, didn't all of a sudden just pop up. <laughs> that's kind of how things are. They, they don't just happen. A lot of times they gradually happen. So that's where we're going today. We're going to chime in and talk a little bit about uh, talking heads. Talking heads. That is, <laughs> I don't know if you know what a talking head is, but that's an old term where we uh, in the news media and communications and uh, commentators, uh, they're, they're those people, right? Those people that talk, they uh, chime in, chat, you know, but they actually engage in conversation. Hey, Alexis, Alexis Pascal. Hey, hello to you. Hello to you. Thanks for joining. Glad that you are joined. You joined today. Hope your holiday was great. Huh? It's Labor Day, the day after, the week after Labor Day. Hope you had a really good Labor Day. Yeah. Call me, girl. Call me. <laughs> I've been trying to get in touch with you. So we'll get a chance to chat within the next day or so, I hope. Yeah. So in our instruction of justice, we get a chance to chat about uh, current events and things of what's going on. We're going to talk about talking heads and how they're not doing their research to make sure what they're saying and is correct, you know, and that's kind of a, a big deal. I mean, you're, we as a group, as a society, a lot of times people go to the different uh, media formats, mainstream media, they'll turn on the news. I know I watch the news and everything from time to time. Uh, there's some good news in, in the morning. I like to listen to alternative news. I like to uh, check out um, different programming of what, what, what others are saying, not just the mainstream news, the mainstream media. Hey, <laughs> you know, so it's like, okay, well, I, I love you too, sis. Ah, Alexis. Good. I'm grateful for you. So it's not just the same old, same old um, saying and listening to the same stories over and over again. I like to get different perspectives. You know, what are what are people saying? What research has been going on to where people are finding and discovering things that uh, aren't within the norm? So we don't want to just listen to media and then there it is. You know, we're just going to take it for what it's worth. There's only one... <laughs> one book that I take for what it's worth 
and which is everything. And if it says it in that in that holy scripture in the holy Bible, then I'm good. I know that it's true. But anything else, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to look at it. We're gonna have to research it and check it out before. We open our mouths and say certain things. So, you know, I do my best to do some due diligence and checking some things out and making sure that what I say is, you know, correct. And, of course, that's where we get the opportunity where you can chime in and chat and say, you know, hey, you know, maybe there's a discrepancy there. You know, it's it's about conversation. It's about communication. And I think that's kind of where where we've fallen off, you know, uh, even with social media, so many different media platforms, it's really uh, me, myself, and I, right? So I'm I'm che- checking out my mobile phone. I'm looking to see what's going on on, on um, my Facebook page and, you know, other people. It's not about lots of times, I mean, we, we get into a chat, but this is an opportunity where we can do more chatting and then hopefully it'll grow into a forum to where we can do more uh, communicating and discussing on some things that that'll make things better. That's that's really what it's all about. Make it better. Make it better. So I want to go ahead and start out. Let me go ahead and I'm going to share my screen. I have a um, have a presentation here that I kind of worked on a little bit to kind of give us some direction and focus so that uh, we just kind of see what's happening here. So yeah, uh, yeah, in particular, you know, you're going to hear different talking heads, people just saying things, uh, you know, being provocative. Maybe that's what the their objective is, is to provoke conversation and, and everything. But really, that's kind of a waste of time. And, and let's say something, there's going to be enough people disagree to where we can come together and learn and work to agree on something, right? So black talking heads, come on, you need to get it straight. Yeah, African-Americans, I don't care whether you dislike that term and that's okay. You know, African-Americans, uh, black, whatever, uh, nation, whatever, however you like to describe your nationality. Uh, I prefer African-American. I'm of African descent and I'm in America. And, you know, that's kind of how America is in a way, whether or not we describe ourselves first. Yes, I am an American, but I'm also very proud of my African heritage, very proud of how how far we've come, who we were, who my ancestors were in every phase of life, very proud of it, and then where we are today. And of course, it is but for God's grace. God has just kept us and he keeps us moving on. So uh, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, being an African-American, a, a person with color, a person of color, melanin in their skin here. Come on. I mean, we could, there's, we're looking at the globe. People are, uh, you could be from Africa. You could be from Jamaica. You could be from, from uh, Haiti. You could, you know, be from different parts of the world and, and have, and, and look African-American, right? So um, I don't mind distinguishing myself to let people know that I am an American. And I think that, you know, people who are from other countries are proud of their land, too. 
right? It's the land that God birthed us on, where we came from. So uh, if I was from uh, another country, uh, the, the continent of Africa, if I was from uh, Kenya, or if I was from uh, the uh, uh, place in, in or Trinidad or uh, Jamaica, I would be proud, right? Because that's the heritage. That's where God chose for me to be, to be born in that place. And of course, the main thing is we're born, but are we making a difference? Are we making life better for the generations to come? That's that's the important thing. So I'm here and with all the different challenges, we're here, but are we making it better? Are we making it a better place are we looking to make it a better America, a better, and you know, I'm not on the bandwagon. <laughs> I know they probably already have gotten that marketing campaign going, uh, build back better. I, I know, I, you know, I'm not trying to, to push that, but let's just be perfectly clear. You know, they, okay, so they beat me to it, but I always like the term better and we aspire to do better. That That's something that, you know, being a Christian, yep, uh, I did. I let it out of the bag again. Being a Christian, you're going to you're going to learn that that's really one of the keys to uh, being a, a good Christian. Make your place, uh, make your statement in life uh, to be better. Of course, you know we we are part of the kingdom, and that just makes it better, right? So, what do we do as good citizens? Because it does mention that in the Bible as well. Being a good citizen. What do we do? How do we do uh, build and, and uh, heal and, and come back better uh, and make America a better place for our children and the children to come up? Big, big shout out, big ups to Texas. And I, I do have to say that the legislation, I know that there are very, uh, lots of angry people out there, but I will say that it, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. But big ups to Texas for the legislation, the anti-abortion bill legislation. And big ups to all of the states that are looking to... Good evening, Brother Frank Hollins. Big ups to all the, the other states that are looking to make a difference and copy that legislation that was successful in passing laws to come against the horrific, barbaric act of abortion, uh, killing children in the womb. So big ups to that. And, you know, keep the fight, keep the faith. And you know what, what we were talking about last week, Brother Uuka from Umoja Books and uh, Products. He was here last week and had a great time. And one of the things that we were trying to discuss, and, and we did it pretty well, I think, is that what, what, is it, what is it that we need to do to come together? And part of the success in what I'm hearing, the legislation being successful in Texas, is that there were groups that came together. And yes, uh, uh, the authors uh, that uh, we're going to kind of look at a little bit. I'm going to mention some of the, the books. Uh, Dr. Claude Anderson, who uh, 
wrote uh, the book on black wealth uh, and also powernomics. I want to mention that that book as well. He talks about strengthening groups. He talks about strengthening groups coming to the core of where we are in society and coming together. And, you know, I had already mentioned that the church of African-American, the black church was the place for that coming together. And I think we kind of fell off in, in, into the different materialistic, uh, uh, abominable gospel, the lie that, you know, the materialism of the gospel and, and not coming together and really making sure that the truth of the gospel is preached, but also being able to, to speak up for those that can't speak up for themselves, which includes uh, ourselves as a, as a community, as an African-American community coming together and as a group. And that's kind of what I heard. The different groups, there were different groups, but they had one goal. So uh, we did kind of discuss some of the uh, in Cobra. That's a group that has different chapters. And uh, Brother Uka is uh, leader uh, or in charge of running the chapter there in Louisiana. So just keep that in mind that this. Yes, you know we hear about it all the time. There's strength in numbers, and certainly it is. But one of the uh, main main things that I like to remind myself of is that even as Christians, when, when they we were looking at the first church, the early church came, they came together and the scripture says on one accord. And then there was a blessing that came, the blessing, one of the most wonderful blessings that a Christian can receive, right? So when you come together on one accord, you can get a lot accomplished. Well, let's, you know, look at another scripture in the Bible talking about the leaning, the Tower of Babel, where it was that people came together and they were, didn't have a good plan, <laughs> right? They didn't have a good purpose. Their end purpose was to build a tower to, to reach heaven. And that way the, uh, they would get back at, at God for flooding the earth or whatever. But the main thing was that they did come together and they would have been successful at some point because it, it mentions that the scripture says that they would have came together and been successful. So coming together as a group uh, with the, the uh, like-mindedness of, of what it is, the purpose that we're coming together, right? We could have different groups, but what about the purpose? Make sure that the purpose is important. And I think that we're going to get some ideas really confirm some of the main ideas of what's important to the black community, to the African-American community. And we, uh, I speak on for the black community, African-American community, but all communities, you know, you can see that this would, would be an opportunity for all communities to come together and heal because we got a lot, a lot of, a lot of things going on, a lot of unknowns that have been happening in the past uh, year and a half. Uh, almost two years. So look, we have to come together, but talking black talking heads need to get it straight. And I want to say, get some research, research what you say, research what's going on, um, you know, author some things to where you have to do some intense studying. 
to and so when you come on these different shows, these different broadcasts, then it's like, okay, well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna make sure that we have the the some statistics and truth and all that, and you know, we're not going to just throw something out there just to be provocative. Well, here's a, another example of this that I want to share here. So I'm going to stop this and let's uh, check out. Let's check out this. And well, let me just share this again and I'll go back over here to this, um, this clip that I found, but I'll share this. This here is a, one of the, um, one of the stories or one of the broadcasters called the Rubin Report. Uh, David Rubin interviewed uh, this gentleman that uh, is very popular. He's a popular guy. Uh, so he interviews him and he's uh, Larry Elder is the guy's name. And during this conversation, the, uh, well, let me just see if I can just play just a little bit of it. During the conversation, you know, he makes a good point, but then he didn't back it up. And here the um, Ruben, David Ruben, didn't have statistics to fire off and prove his point, right, with Larry Elder, and he got slammed, right? Uh, okay, but... I, even with this, uh, Larry Elder has has made he made some statements that weren't weren't right, weren't true, you know. And so, anyway, let's see if I can uh, share a little bit of this. I'm going to stop sharing this, and let's go over here and see if I can share a little bit of this. Yeah. Okay, so we're we're on this page and it's looking good. So this is where the discussion that uh, David Rubin was having with Larry Elder. So let's just check a little bit of it out. Country is a breakdown of the family, and uh, President Obama said it. I didn't. Uh, a, a, a black kid or a kid, not just a black kid, a kid raised without a dad, is five times more likely to be poor and commit crimes, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and twenty times more likely to end up in jail. So you're far more likely to end up in jail without having a dad than you are because of a white racist cop. Right. So, but you wouldn't not acknowledge that there are some systemic issues. Give, give me an example. G tell me what you think the most systemic racist issue is. What is it? Well, I would say that because black people in most cases, in many cases, were descendants of slaves, that racism as a as an institution, that it just, a certain amount of it just exists. 2015? It, it, give me the most blatant racist example you can come up with right now. Um, I think you could probably find evidence that in general, cops are, that, that cops are more willing to shoot if the uh, perpetrator is black What's your data than white. What's your basis for saying that? Last year... The well, look, I know a lot of people would say, look what's going on in Chicago. I, I, I know what they would say. Yeah. I'm talking about what the facts are. 965 people were shot by cops last, last year and killed. 4% of them were white cops shooting unarmed blacks. In, in Chicago in 2011, 21 people were shot and killed by cops. Uh, in 2015, there were seven. 
uh, in Chicago, which is a third black, a third white, and a third Hispanic, 70% of the homicides are black on black. Uh, about 40 per month, almost 500 uh, in the year per year, last year in Chicago, and 75% of them are unsolved. Where is the Black Lives Matter on that? The idea that a racist white cop uh, and shooting unarmed black people is a peril to black people is BS. It's yeah. complete and total BS. And All right. So that's what he's saying. And I understand that he considers it, it BS, but I think that the truth is that... Um, David Rubin had, he had the point. He, he won that one. He had the point because the point that he made is what is the likelihood of African-Americans? There are more African-Americans that would be shot by police officers than, than um, European-Americans. Well, he, you know, he was saying that based on the numbers, more European-Americans were getting shot. Well, we're talking about percentage, and that's something that people really do need to keep in mind, that we're only, as an African-American community, about 13% of the population, okay? So with the percentage, if you're coming anywhere near the numbers of the majority, if the minority is coming anywhere near the numbers of of uh, abuse and social injustice, systematic racism, then you're, you're having, there's a problem there. Okay, I wanna show this graph that uh, will, will help show and prove what we're talking about today. Now here, this came from the Washington Post and it's a graph, uh, graphics and investigation, uh, public shootings, and they actually have a database, okay? They have a database. So what this graph is showing is that the rate at which Black Americans are killed by police is more than twice as high as the rate for white Americans. And what you can see is that of the population, there are 30, 37 per million. So we're looking at 42 million African-Americans, okay, in this country. And we're looking at around 39 million Hispanics. And we're looking at 197 million European-Americans, okay? So you're it, of that, it's showing this graph is showing and with the numbers doing the analytics that they're the at the, the rate are it's higher for african americans being killed okay so he's saying that you know for african americans to be shot down by police the likelihood is not as high or whatever well it happens and since it's happening there are uh, databases. Here's an analysis. Here's research proof by that's being done by this Washington by the Washington Post and the database that shows, you know, based on the numbers and what they've been looking at in the past. Uh, so this research, this database in itself, it's saying here at the Washington Post that uh, despite the unpredictable events that lead to fatal shootings. Police nationwide have shot and killed almost the same number of people annually, 
nearly a thousand. So he had al already mentioned that, but okay. So that is a lo low number, but here let's go back and share what uh, the Washington post had said. So in 2015, uh, the Washington post had began to log every fatal shooting on uh, by on duty police officers in the United States. So at the time there had been more than at that time, there have been more than 5,000 such shootings recorded by the Post. So the, the Post themselves had been uh, noticing this. So it, it shares and explains here uh, at the Washington Post that after Michael Brown, an unarmed black man, was killed in 2014 by police in Ferguson, Missouri, a Post investigation found that the FBI undercounted fatal police shootings by more than half. So the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigations, uh, you know, they undercounted the fatal shootings by more than half. That's because reporting by police departments is voluntary and many uh, departments fail to do so. OK, so you're looking at lack of reporting even within the police department themselves. I mean, that's pretty incriminating evidence, right? If you're doing the shooting here, you're not going to tell or say that you're shooting people, right? So the post data relies primarily, this is what they're saying, where they get their data from, primarily on news accounts, social media postings, and police reports. Analysis of more than five years of data reveals that the number of circumstances of fatal shootings and the overall demographics of the victim re have remained relatively constant. So it's high. So it's been consistently high. The numbers have been uh, uh, higher for African-Americans being uh, shot and killed. And it shows the, uh, the graph there. So it says that black Americans are killed at a much higher rate than white Americans. And it says, although half of the police, uh, uh, half of the people shot and killed by police are white, Black Americans are shot at a disproportionate rate. They account for less than 13% of the U.S. population, but are killed by police at more than twice the rate of white Americans. Hispanic Americans are also killed by police at a disproportionate rate. So that's pretty huge. Uh, and what I... Big, big ups to David Rubin in that he just pulled this out of what he had heard or what, you know, what he can remember about a statistic because he was put on the spot about a statistic and chose to share the statistic of African-Americans uh, being, you know, killed by police. And here comes, you know, Larry, Re uh, Larry, uh, elder and he's like oh wow you know and so what and you know throwing out some other numbers that were like okay well they may be relevant or not maybe he came prepared because he read a, a piece of paper or a page that threw out some statistics he was ready for that but let's look at based on the percentage of the population that's the truth of it so even though the numbers are high uh as far as who, well, it's out of 197 million. Yeah. Okay. But then here over here is 42 million and disproportionately. And that's really what this is all about is 
coming to understand that there is systematic racism and uh, understand it and then be able to acknowledge it and identify where, where it's happening. And then as groups uh, come together to discuss how can we make it better? So, and what can we do to, to stop this? And I know Kansas City has been really big on coming together with um, committees and Kansas City, Missouri Police Department coming together with committees to find out what can be done to make sure that uh, b- police brutality is uh, not rampant, right? So Kansas City, big, big shout out to Kansas City, big ups to the Kansas City, Missouri uh, government mayoral, mayoral cabinets and things. So cool. Now, what I do want to show too is, uh, yeah, so we talked about Larry Elder. Larry, you know, I don't know. I've been watching you for a long time. And I think that that's another thing too. People who are uh, African-American, those that they're interviewing, they're not really interviewing grassroots people. They're interviewing people have that have been groomed, that have uh, been groomed to believe a certain way. I don't know if the man has done any major research on anything. Uh, they were picked, uh, chosen to, you know, we thought of him as a buffoon when we first started listening to him and he just got picked. He would just say something and it's like, okay, well, let's get the silly guy to say something and, you know, prove our point and discount uh, the importance of the subject when it comes to black uh, issues, African-American issues. So that's what we saw him as and not anything. And he's just been around for a long time. And now the young people are picking up on it and thinking that he's some guy to, uh, to talk to, which is unfortunate. Uh, So now let me go ahead and check out, I'm going to share this again. And this is just our our uh, presentation here that I want to want to share. Yeah. So we looked at that. Let's uh, check out um, this interview with the Candace Owens. Now this is a, yeah, I don't know how young or older she is, but it's at the Prager's university. That's where this, this uh, broadcast is being produced. And what, he was saying, and this is again, Larry Elder. And of course, after I stood on my soapbox, it's like, why even talk about it? We've already acknowledged that, you know, the kind of person that we thought he was even coming on the scene in the beginning of his career. Uh, But he had mentioned, and he said in an argument, this is what was posted during the interview. And you can see the interview on Facebook. I'm not really trying to, um, push the, push anyone to her Facebook page or to that Facebook page. But, you know, he said it and it's out there and referencing here. So this is where he had mentioned that he had put David Rubin on the spot, right? He put him on the spot and, you know, the man didn't even know how to come back with any research proof of what he was saying and all of that. So, here, uh, this is another thing that he had mentioned. He says uh, that there was an argument that could be made that slave owners uh, were owed 
reparations after the Civil War because slavery was legal and their property had been taken, meaning other human beings, right? Slavery, slaves, and their property had been taken. So he said an argument could be made. Well, for even that to be said, okay, so you said it. Well, we know the Civil War, there was a war. They were traitors. The South, they were traitors. They succeeded from the Union. So why would the federal government or the government that stood post-Civil War give or pay reparations to uh, uh, an enemy? Yeah, you know, a lot can be said and we can get look into that what happened after the civil war and how none of the uh, those that succeeded those that were in uh, in upper you know government how little to nothing happened to them and they were put and voted back and put back into government positions decision making positions so why in the world would the slave owner be given reparations. See, that's the kind of silly stuff that just doesn't make any sense. And, you know, even in saying it, let's clean it up to the point to where you would say that some think maybe, if, if, I mean, give, give some, I'm trying to give the brother some kind of credible excuse to make it right. Uh, here, they're criminals. Why would you pay a criminal anyway? They should be put in jail. They should be put in jail and what do you do with traitors what happens to traitors right so it's a lot more to it than than uh trying to say that slave owners were owed reparations and here he says when people talk about reparations do they really want to have that conversation you better believe it you better believe it we we want to have it and we're going to come back in a few weeks and talk with Brother Uuka. And we're going to share with more of what in COBRA and other uh, resources and research that he has. But there's been lots of people that have received, lots of groups, lots of uh, groups that have received reparations. And I'm going to say lots because if, if one has been successful, I can remember one in particular, the Native Americans. Uh, they filed a lawsuit, and I remember that well, that lawsuit. It was in the 2000s, 20, uh, maybe 20, 2003, 2004, uh, maybe even before then. But uh, around in that time, I'm like, look, you know, they were looking for people to do some transcribing and research to build the case to, do, to come against the case that had been um applied or had been introduced to the federal government. So they were hiring people, federal government was hiring people to work to build the research case. I, I know because I had an opportunity to join that team. And I said to myself, I'm like, I'm like no, I'm not going to do that because why would I want to come against a nation of people when definitely there was social injustice committed upon them uh, and systematic racism in, you know, you could probably even say that as well because of how every time there was a law that was put in place the by the federal government and between the, the nations, the Native American nations, 
they would get land taken away and they and the federal government would renege on it, you know, wouldn't keep their, their part of the bargain. So certainly uh, there's others that have received reparations. So you better believe it. Do we really want to have this conversation? Yes, we do. And we should have it because then that's when the healing starts. Um, that's when making things right starts. Okay. He says, like it or not, slavery was legal. That's true. And that does, that does show that there was a system in place, even by the federal government, that slavery was legal. Yeah, I will agree with that. Uh, their legal property was taken away from them after the Civil War. So come on. Yeah, why not? Why not free and make people, human beings free, number one, for the ethical reason. But here, like I said, the Civil War, these were criminals. They lost the war. So what do you do? Uh, keep things going the way they are, pat, pat them on the back and say, okay, sorry, I was just playing. I was just playing. Really? I don't think so. Okay, so you could make an argument that the people that are owed reparations are not just only just black people, but also the people whose property was taken after away after the end of the Civil War. No, you don't have that. It's just the reparations really are owed to just African-American, just black people. Yes, for the 400 years that the people was enslaved and that legislation, government laws, systematic racism started and was engaged and practiced. And to this day, we still work on some uh, issues to try to get them resolved. Okay. So I don't know. Just pray for the man. <laughs> you know, pray for him so that you don't get bitter, which I'm not bitter because, oh, guy, we, we already know what kind of dude he is. Yeah. He was weird in the, in the beginning. He was just freaking weird. And now it's, yes, you know, he's, I did say it here. He is again saying things that um, really just don't make any sense. Okay. All right. Now I want to go back a little bit here. I want to go back to a couple of the books, you know, what could have been done better as far as the research, you know, and this is something that one of the reasons why I was introduced to Brother Uka and Umoja uh, books and products is that, yeah, you know, they will have in the interest that books that are of interest and, you know, have a stock there. And of course, you'll be able to support black businesses. But Black Labor, White Wealth by Claude Anderson, you know, that really is, if you're talking about proof and research, that really is the, the major text of looking into what systematic racism is all about. He eloquently and very detailed just wrote the processes and, and showed graphs and, and proofs from his research. It, it's just a very well-written book uh, to the point to where you can follow it and be able to engage in solutions, right? So 
that one would would have been a, a good one uh <laughs> mr elder <laughs> then the little one page whatever you just found rant ranting about that doesn't even matter here because here i believe david rubin said systematic racism so he proved he he mentioned in particular what he was talking about and not just numbers based on who which group or and where you know they were being mistreated at right uh powernomics is the other book the national plan to empower black america so this book here is has more detailed of outline but i want to give you a little key is it he speaks of groups right which we have seen it be successful the the different groups that have a common focus a common goal and that was what we talked about the groups that were successful in coming against and in, in developing legislation in texas so that they can uh, have the legislation against abortion. Well, they came together to do that, the different groups. Okay, Powernomics, uh, The Black Tax by Sean D. Rochester. Okay, I've, I've been on this. You know, it's a slow read because there's a lot of detail information and statistics hmm? and a lot of things to to really kind of overcome. It's like, you're right. And let me, let me, digest this a little bit right uh the color of law here's one by richard rothstein the color of law so it talks about the uh, dividing lines of racism and systematic racism redlining hmm? so it it speaks on that and the uh the original meaning and continuing relevance of the 13th amendment published by georgetown center for the constitution georgetown law now i'm i pulled this sometimes you have to to take the bones out of the fish uh sometimes you got to do that so you're going to read it but you have to read it with a, an understanding that of what what the what the book is it is information but i found it to be intriguing i found it to be intriguing because of the title itself the original meaning and continuing relevance of the 13th amendment so we know that the uh, 13th amendment which we've talked about here on obstruction of justice is that it's the amendment that abolishes slavery the abolition of slavery and it was passed by congress january 31st 1865 and ratified december 6 1865 okay the 13th amendment changed a portion of article 4 section 2 and it says that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So no slavery. Now, of course, you know, we're going to 
talk about the penal system and how this clause here and how it, it's funded by, by um, corporations that, um, you know, it's not considered slavery, right? And, and if you've been convicted of a crime and you are in prison, right? It says here, in the, as far as slavery is concerned, <laughs> except as punishment for a crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted. So why are there so many convictions and so many African-Americans who we just had a gentleman recently who was con uh, wrongfully convict convicted and, and served 43 years in the state of Missouri. And the proof came out and uh, he was found innocent and they're just dragging their feet. The governor, they're just dragging their feet to get him released. And uh, they come th with every, every single 43 years. Oh, wow. That's, that's the whole life. That's the man's whole life. So, you know, that that's going to be another conversation and why, you know, disproportionately, this is what we're talking about. Why is it that disproportionately African-Americans uh, represent those that are uh, incarcerated? Hmm? The majority disproportionate, there's high numbers of African-Americans in the penal system in prison. Okay, so uh, I do want to, I want to check out, let's see if, uh, yeah. So, yeah, that uh, that's something to think about there, too, in that what are we doing here again? What is it about the 13th Amendment and why is it relevant still? Okay, so let's, uh, I'm going to share this okay the uh, I, I want to just read a, an excerpt just a, a little short portion here uh, in the from and it's right in the beginning of the book and it talks about um, 150 years ago on December 6 1865 the 13th amendment was ratified section 1 reads neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction although it seems so straightforward as almost to be boring there is a lot that most people do not know about the 13th Amendment and its significance extends beyond its obvious meaning. Okay, and here the necessity of the 13th Amendment, just a little excerpt. To begin with, many Americans may believe that the amendment was largely redundant of President Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, which went into effect on January 1st, 1863, some two years earlier. Yet Lincoln's proclamation only applied to slaves in rebel states outside of union control. It freed only those who could make it to union lines 
and exempt slaves in loyal states or in Tennessee, which were nominally under union control. So it exempted those. It didn't, it didn't free everybody. Okay, true as James Oakes has recently shown in his masterful book, Freedom National, The Destruction of Slavery in the United States, 1861 through 1865, the proclamation did more than is commonly acknowledged, as it also encouraged the enlistment of black soldiers in the border states, which had the legal effect of freeing both them and their families. So that's a pretty intriguing understanding of just an introduction of what it is that the showing of what this book is talking about. Why is it relevant today uh, without, <laughs> without the 13th Amendment? What, what would happen? What would be going on? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, they're, they've already twisted things around. We just talked about the penal system. But without the 13th Amendment, what what would be happening? What would be going on in these United States of America? All right. Now, to say all of that and to say this, support black businesses. Huh? Because systematic, systematic racism it it happens and it's here but the way to engage and to take and and fight it head on is through through economics the support of black establishments because black business that would be considered a group i think right so as black businesses would be supported then they could um hire and uh, have more control and say over what's happening, right? So they would be a larger political force, black businesses, uh, economic, especially within the communities. Um, people would be able to, to go to work for African-American business, black-owned business, and, and feel good, right? And be able to... Uh, to come together as a group and acknowledge and work together. So money does help. Yeah. So support black businesses. And if you don't know what a business is, a black business, you know, if you go Google, <laughs> Google businesses list that. So if you're a business, you can go out there and open up your account on Google businesses and list and it, you know, with all of your other information, as far as when you're open, your location, special services uh, that you, you know, perform your business, any events, just all kinds of information. So Google business is a good place to start. And you can also list yourself as a uh, woman owned hmm, a small business. You could list it as small business, uh, women, uh, woman ran. So maybe it's not woman owned, but you have uh, women who run the company who are in leadership roles, which is super important. You know, I, I even look at 
that is when I do research to see whether or not uh, a contract will fly, you know, so you go in and it's like, okay, well, I can do, we can do this work. This will be great. So you go in, you do the research, you look at the different, the business, uh, those that are in leadership roles, the CEO, the CIO, the VPs, the AVPs, the directors, Sometimes I'll have the directors, uh, AVP, and you know, you'll look, if you look and you don't see any women, you see no African-Americans, uh, you know, you might see a woman down there for HR. Hmm. They'll, you, they'll let, let them do the HR work sometimes, um, customer service well, on the lower level. But even customer service is a big deal. Customer success is kind of what it grows into since there's a lot of uh, business that's rolling with the model of uh, software as a service or a uh, SaaS model. So, yeah, that's something there. If you if you go out there on the Google businesses and get you get your uh, business registered there, you know, and go in and, and make sure you have a presence there on uh, the uh, internet, that's a great place to list. And what it'll do too is that it will actually pull up maps where you can uh, where you can uh, list where you are and that when they do Google, you do a Google map search or what's near me, black African-American or black businesses near me. You could say that, do a search on that and it'll pull them up. It'll pull them up. Uh, you do that with restaurants. I know I, I do that with restaurants. I'm always looking for some soul food. <laughs> How about you? I'm always looking for something, uh, something different or something yummy, something delicious. Yeah. So I'm always looking for that. And, and that's a good way too to get your presence, your uh, black owned business presence out there uh, where people will be able to find you, those search engines. All right. And uh, then, of course, if you're needing any type of training, any type of training, contact www. Go out there to our website, contact us. Um, Get on the Calendly. If you go and click on contact us, we can get in a meeting with you in a little 15 minute. We'll give you a call back. However you like a virtual meeting, virtual touch point there if you like. And we'll just quickly discuss what type of training you're looking to do and how many people you're needing trained. So we can definitely handle that and uh, content development. That's something else that we do. So if you're needing training materials or uh, modules or courses that need to be developed. Um, if you're needing some project management work to decide what type of learning management system you'd like to use, or what's going to work best for you, uh, just reach out to us. We definitely will uh, get with you and we can do great consulting services with you and in, in, in meeting any of your training and learning management um, needs. Most definitely. Most definitely. Well, uh, we, we chatted a bit. We chatted a bit. There was a little bit out there. I, I would just encourage you to read. Do your research. Yeah, because it's brave. You can be brave to say something. Get out there, you know, 
brave to march certainly but what are you marching for what's going on what's happening recently what group are you a part of where you can meet with other like-minded people to uh, to make your your team stronger and, and you're able to move and do more yeah uh, how are you enlightening yourself we're going to be coming up with some some pretty creative solutions here shortly and I'll, i'm going to share them with you and see what you like if it'll be something that you'd like to do and and participate in just just a little testers to see if that's something that you'd like to do but definitely get some good books and go out there to uh, Emoja Bookstore, Books and Products, and see what they already have out there. Do your research and and look for look for some books that will really enlighten you and get you going. Some of them take a while to read. That's okay. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Be blessed. Be blessed. And, of course, if the Lord says the same, We'll see you next time. Justice now.